Welcome to Any Questions, a podcast about conception, pregnancy, and realistic motherhood. Follow along on my journey as I ask the questions we all have when it comes to getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and becoming parents. I'm not an expert and I have no experience. I'm going through it all just like you. So thanks for being here and let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to Any Questions, a podcast all about fertility, conception, and hopefully one day pregnancy and all of that good stuff. Um, I'm really excited about today's episode. I, at the time of recording, haven't thought of a title, but the idea is these are basically um, the tough parts of having a kid, having a baby that a lot of people don't talk about that I think are so important to talk about and also really important topics to talk through with your partner. If you are growing a family with a partner, I think these are super, super important uh, discussion topics to have um, ahead of time if you are trying to conceive, if you are pregnant, even if, of course, you already have a baby and you're still listening. Thanks for being here. Um, these are really, really key, important discussions that I think a lot of people don't don't even think about um, until, unfortunately, the like negative part shows up in your life and you're kind of forced to think about. So I got the idea for this episode from a creator named Lucy Fink. Um, she's a YouTuber. Uh, she might I think she does like a bunch of other kind of lifestyle influency content creation stuff. Uh, but I know her as a YouTuber and I started following her probably a year or two ago um, when she was on her own uh, conception journey and then have watched as she became a mom to baby Milo and just like live in her life in New York City. So I will put a link to Lucy's YouTube channel in the show notes. And this topic was inspired by her video called the 13 hardest parts of having a baby. Um, and I watched this video and it was totally like, oh my God, these are things that like, yeah, you know, you kind of hear about, but nobody really talks about. And I really appreciated how Lucy was so honest and so vulnerable with the discussion and just saying things that are like, like she tells one story where she's saying that like, oh, people were in the living room playing with Milo and I was in the bathroom bleeding, changing my pad and just crying my eyes out. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like something that probably happens to a lot of people that we just don't talk about. Um, so really, really loved this video. And actually, when my husband came home, I was like, hey, do you want to watch this video? I think it'd be so cool for us to watch it and talk about it. So we put the video on. And after each one of the 13 things that Lucy brought up after she kind of gave her little spiel, we would pause it and then talk about how that topic kind of related to our lives. It ended up being like an hour and a half. I think the video is like 20 minutes, but our discussion on it ended up being like an hour and a half. And it was really, really good. It's a really... Um, I think really important conversation to have with your partner and certainly not like a one and done thing. It's not like, okay, we talked about, you know, hormones check, like we're never talking about that again, but just a really good way to kind of introduce some of these topics if you haven't talked about them before, or just to give you a few more things to think about, a few more questions to ask, and hopefully you can like revisit these topics time and time again. So I thought for this podcast episode, I would go through the 13 topics, um, kind of give a little spiel about, you know, what um, what Lucy was talking about, my thoughts on the topic, and some of the questions or uh, discussions you might want to have with your own partner, with your family, you know, with yourself if you're growing your family alone, um, and also sort of some of the decisions that my partner and I made or some of the the thoughts that we had on these topics. Looking at my notes, they're looking a little long, so this might be a two-parter. 
Um, as you know, I'm not one for editing or re-recording, so uh, you'll find out if it says part one in the title, then I only got halfway through. And if it doesn't, then we are doing all 13. All right, let us dive in. So the first thing that Lucy talks about is physical discomfort postpartum. And she makes it clear that here she's not really talking about like you're changing body image, but actually I think that would be a really important thing to include in here too. So regardless of how you give birth, you know, whether it's vaginal, C-section, whatever, it is going to be quite an ordeal on your body, right? It's trauma, it's trauma, it's trauma, it's major surgery, potentially, it's wound care, it's healing, it's stitches, it's cuts, it's lumps, it's bruises, it's bumps, it's bleeding, it's just awful, right? Like, it's not, I don't think there are too many people who, you know, give birth and go, yep, I feel great, my body feels amazing. And this, again, goes back to that story of Lucy, you know, changing her pad and bleeding and crying in the bathroom. So I think knowing these things, of course, is a little bit scary, especially if you are currently pregnant or trying to get pregnant, you don't really want to think about how awful the birth or the postpartum, you know, body care is going to be. But I think it's really important to to start thinking about it. So one thing I think you can think about here is having some sort of accommodations ready. So doing a little bit of research, you know, obviously you don't know 100% whether you're going to have a um, vaginal birth, a C-section, medicated, unmedicated, home, hospital, back of a cab. <laughs> you, you can't say 100%. But I think you can start preparing for, um, you know, regardless of the type of birth you have, there will probably be bleeding. So you might want to look into getting, you know, pads or um, special uh, period underwear or diapers or, you know, things like that. There are lots, I'm so many YouTube videos on the sort of like postpartum care items that you might want to get. There's the little squeeze peri bottle. There's those donut pillows you can sit on, but basically just doing a little bit of research here to know, okay, what sort of things do I kind of want to have you know, maybe on hand, maybe you're able to purchase them or at least, okay, I've got them like in my Amazon shopping cart ready to press purchase if this is something I need. And I think also having this discussion again with your partner, especially if your partner is not a birthing person, maybe not exposed to this kind of information, I'm sure, you know, poll, I don't know, 10 non-uterus owning partners um, and they probably aren't able to tell you what a peri bottle is and what you know what kind of postpartum bleeding to expect like did you know you could be bleeding for six weeks i didn't even know that so i sure as heck don't think my husband did so i think having these conversations with them and you know yes of course people give birth every day and you know birthing people are superheroes but it is you know major trauma on your body and should be you know a, a handled as such, right? Like if you broke your leg or you went in to have surgery, nobody would expect you to be back on your feet caring for a helpless infant the next day, um, which is wild that that's what we do expect birthing people to do. Um, but having those conversations with your partner of like, hey, I might need to be in bed for a couple weeks here. Like I'm going to be extremely sore, uncomfortable, in pain. Like, you know, here are some of the things that I could potentially be dealing with. Like, let's talk about how we're going to set up some support systems, which leads me to my next point on this one. Um, talking to your partner about how you do want to set up those supports. So whether it's the physical things like having the, um, you know, Epsom salts in your bath, that sort of thing having that donut pillow you can sit on. Um, maybe you want to get a really comfortable chair or a, I don't know, mattress top or something to make just life a little bit more comfortable for you. But also in terms of like household duties, childcare duties, uh, work duties, you know, if you have anything like that, what can you talk to your partner about, you know, okay, hey, hun, for the first few weeks, you know, this is what recovery might look like for me. Let's talk about, you know, oh, we have three dogs, 
uh, good for you. <laughs> it's a lot of dogs. Um, you know, are you, honey, are you able to do all of the dog walks for the first couple of weeks? Cause I might not be able to, or if not, let's hire a dog walker. Let's, you know, get on Rover. Let's talk to our moms. Let's send some of the dogs away to doggy daycare for the first week or something. Uh, meal prep, you know, if you're the one who usually does all the cooking in the house, maybe that's a conversation you need to have with your partner. Hey, like, don't put me down for making dinner for the first little while. I'm going to need some help. Let's, you know, make some meals in the freezer. You take over cooking. Let's order, you know, get Uber Eats going, whatever it is. Just talking with your partner about those regular, you know, things that you do around the house, things around childcare, you know, especially if this is your first child, obviously you're not going to know exactly what you'll be up for, but it could be something as simple as, hey, you know, with my C-section, I'm not actually able to lift the baby. You're going to need to carry the baby and, and bring the baby to me. Like I, I can't bend over, you know, into the bassinet and get them. Something like that. You wouldn't even think that that would be an issue, right? Um, but it could be. So I think having those conversations with your partner is really important. Another one on this, and this is going to kind of come up in a few of the different uh, subheadings here, is around guests. So in terms of your own um postpartum, you know, physical discomfort here, talking about that, you might want to have some rules. Uh, and this also can kind of just go into not even just your own physical discomfort, but like your emotional or mental discomfort too, right? Like some boundaries around guests. So for example, do you want to have guests visit you, you know, at the hospital or the birthing center? Um, or, you know, at home, if you're giving birth at home, if you do, do you want to have, you know, maybe the first couple hours or the first day, just you and your partner and the baby? And then you can have guests. Do you want guests right away? Do you want I don't know, your mom in the delivery room with you. Uh, once you get home, you know, when are guests allowed to come? Do you want them to come the first week, the first month, the first three months? Uh, when they do come, how long do you want them to stay? Do you, Can they stay for an hour? Can they stay for a couple hours? Can guests stay, you know, overnight if you have a guest room or stay for a week? Obviously, you know, <laughs> some of those things I think are more common and accepted in uh, certain households, certain cultures and, than others. I know for me, uh, it would be a nightmare to have anybody stay overnight or for a week or for a month, mostly because we live in 700 square feet and I don't know where we'd put them. Um, but you know, in other places it's like, yep, okay, someone had a baby. I'm moving in for the month to help. And that's amazing, right? Like, I mean, I would love a night nurse or a, a night doula or something like that. I just don't really want to have to host somebody, um, like a family member or a friend for hours and hours. Uh, so starting to have those conversations with your partner. And again, I think the huge caveat here is if you're having these conversations before you're pregnant or while you're pregnant, you know, before you've had the baby, obviously your mind might change, right? Like you might make a decision now, okay, we definitely don't want any guests until our baby is three months old. And then, you know, you have your baby, they're four weeks old and you go, you know what, actually it would be really nice to see some people right now. We'd love someone to come over. You can totally change your mind. These rules are not set in stone. But I think the idea is that you start having these conversations now because it's a lot easier to have these discussions, you know, especially if you're on different pages, right? Like maybe your partner was like, oh, yeah, of course, I just assumed I was gonna live tweet the birth and then invite everyone we've ever met to come to the hospital to see us because you know, sure, that's what people do. <laughs> like just come through the delivery room. And you might be thinking like, absolutely not. I don't want anyone to know we've even gone to the hospital. I sure as heck don't want them visiting. Um, so having these conversations now to try to get on the same page to explain where you're coming from, knowing that obviously once you're in the moment and the baby's here, you can change your mind, but it's it's not the first time you're bringing it up, right? You don't want to have a conversation about boundaries with guests as they're ringing your doorbell <laughs> coming to visit, right? That's something you want to have talked about uh, beforehand. 
Okay, number two, I'm already, yeah, I can already tell you this is going to be a two-parter of an episode. We're already like 10 minutes in and I've only hit the first one. Um, Number two is postpartum hormones and exhaustion. So huge, huge, huge one here. I think everyone uh, probably has heard of the baby blues, kind of that sadness that might uh, affect people in the first couple weeks post um, post baby. And then if that sadness is more severe or more long lasting, it's usually referred to as postpartum depression. And then there's also postpartum anxiety. Uh, they can also be called, I think, postnatal um, is the UK term, but usually in uh, US or Canada, we say postpartum. Um, these are obviously very, very serious, unfortunately, Uh, Lots of people suffer from them, both uh, birthing partners and non-birthing partners. So yes, partners, husbands, dads, girlfriends, wives, people who are not birthing the baby can also suffer from postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. So it's super serious. Unfortunately, a lot of people do suffer in silence and just um, have a really hard time with these things. And it's in such a vulnerable time of your life, right? Like you've just undergone some major trauma to your body or watched your partner undergo some major trauma. You have this new little life, little baby that you're supposed to be taking care of and just absolutely in love with. And for some reason, your brain is not letting you make those connections. Really, really scary, really sad. And unfortunately, a lot of people do um, experience the baby blues. And then Again, a lot of people do go on to experience PPD, PPA, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Um, These are serious. They are, um, unfortunately, they do claim lives, right? People do, um, unfortunately, succumb to these uh, disorders, just like, you know, they do to regular uh, depression and anxiety. And um, I think it's something totally that you need to be aware of ahead of time. Um, if it's something you've never heard of before, I really encourage you to do some more research. Obviously, I'm not an expert. Please look up these things. Even if you've never felt depressed or anxious or anything in your life, you've always had, you know, really strong, great mental health. I think it's so important to look up these things because, you know, if you have um, experienced depression or anxiety before, you are more likely to to get it, you know, postpartum. However, there is, I think, don't quote me on this number, but it's something like 40% of the cases, the first onset is postpartum. So even if you haven't had experience with depression or anxiety before, doesn't mean um, you're not going to have any after postpartum. And Lucy says this in her video as well. Like she was someone who was so excited to have a baby, really, really wanted this, knew she wanted to be a mom and still had so many um, negative emotions, tons of, you know, crying, depression, feeling, uh, I don't think she was actually diagnosed with PPD. I won't say that, but you know, having those baby blues, really having a hard time connecting. And that was somebody who really wanted a baby, right? So even, you know, wanting a baby doesn't, um, doesn't mean you won't be affected by the baby blues or PPD or PPA. I'm going to put in the show notes some screening tests. These are basically um, like multiple choice (laughs) quizzes, basically, that uh, can kind of give you an idea of whether or not you might be suffering from postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. Uh, All of these tests have huge disclaimers on them saying like, you know, this is not um, this is not a medical diagnosis. So please, you know, if you if you are feeling a certain way, Um, and the test says otherwise, please go with your gut, um, or, you know, vice versa, whatever. This is not, this should not be your only, um, thing that you consult when it comes to potentially having PPD or PPA, but it's a really good place to start. So I will link those in the show notes. I think it would be a great idea if you are, um, expecting just to, you know, bookmark one of these tests and just tell yourself, Hey, 
I'm going to go through this screening test, you know, put it on your calendar, put it, put it, put it in the Google Cal, the iCal, whatever, and say, okay, you know, at one week postpartum, at three weeks postpartum, at six weeks postpartum, I'm going to do this test. Um, again, super short. I think they're like, you know, 10, 15 questions, multiple choice, just, yep, I feel like this. Nope, I don't feel like this. Um, and, and see what the results are. I think it's a really good way to check in. Again, this is something you definitely want to be talking about with your partner because it can affect both of you. Um, so I think having these discussions ahead of time, hey, you know, do you, have you heard of postpartum depression? Have you heard of postpartum anxiety? Like, let's learn a little bit more about it. Let's learn what it looks like so we can see warning signs in each other. Let's both familiarize ourselves with these screening tests so we know, you know, what to look out for. Let's learn how prevalent it is. Let's learn that it can affect both of us. And then setting up some support systems. So something my partner and I talked about, we've both done uh, therapy in the past. We're not currently doing therapy right now. And honestly, it's just unfortunately um, a lack of resources. The uh, health benefits that we have through my husband's work only allow for like a limited number of therapy sessions. After that, you're paying out of pocket. And it's just currently at this point, we both kind of feel, you know, if we were in um, a harder state mentally, I think we would pay for it. It's something we'd prioritize, but luckily we're feeling okay right now. So we are not um, prioritizing paying out of pocket for therapy sessions. I know, of course, you know, depending where you are, maybe therapy is fully covered. Maybe you can find subsidized therapy or pay what you can therapy. Um, so I would strongly encourage you to look into that. My partner and I are planning, you know, once we do hopefully get pregnant, um, as we're kind of nearing the end, uh, we've talked about both finding a therapist at that point, um, somebody that we can check in with kind of in those last, you know, few weeks or few months of pregnancy, and then also check in with as we're going through, the first few months of postpartum, just so we have that person as sort of like a screen to help us work through any um, blues or depression or anxiety we might be feeling. Um, other things you can do in terms of supports to set up, you can obviously have a check-in with your healthcare provider. So your midwife or um, <clears throat> OBGYN or doctor, whoever should be checking and screening you for um, postpartum depression and anxiety anyways, but just, you know, kind of flagging that to them ahead of time if it's something you're concerned about. Setting up really good systems, you know, making sure you have family and friends, loved ones that are checking in on you, um, making sure you have access to really, you know, healthful foods, fresh air, getting outside. Um, if you're able to do any sort of exercise or stretching, that sort of thing. Meditation can be very helpful. Um, medication, so different than meditation, but medication, obviously, if you already do experience anxiety or depression or other mental health challenges and you um, are taking medication or you have taken medication in the past, you definitely want to bring that up with your healthcare provider. A lot of people um, go off their medication because they're worried that it's going to affect their pregnancy or affect their, if you're planning to breastfeed, affect their milk supply. But luckily there are lots of medications that are totally safe to take um, while you're trying to conceive, while you're pregnant, while you're breastfeeding, all those things. So just talk to your provider um, about any of those uh, concerns you might have. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is like a big, a big, big topic. And I think it's so important to, to have these conversations with your partner and set things up. Um, one thing that I've talked to my partner about, like when we are having this discussion is I really love this phrase that everything is temporary. And that can, for me, that means like, don't, you know, don't make a, a rash decision in the moment because this is just temporary. And I think so much of raising a kid is going to be, okay, this is just temporary. Like, oh my God, they're biting. Ah, they're they're a biter. This is the worst thing ever. And it's like, yes, it's a bad thing. Yes, your feelings about the biting are valid. And of course, you know, you, you want to do something about the biting, but 
six weeks from now, six months from now, six years from now, they're not still going to be a biter. <laughs> like this will pass, right? This too shall pass. Maybe that should be what the, the saying is. So when I say everything is temporary, I don't mean, oh, your postpartum depression and anxiety is is meaningless. Don't even worry about it. It's just temporary. Um, your feelings are valid. Please seek help. You shouldn't have to deal with something awful, even if it is temporary. But I think knowing that it's temporary, for me at least, is a very hopeful feeling of like, okay, this sucks right now. I'm doing something about it. I'm getting help. I'm you know, seeing a therapist, taking medication, whatever it is. But also, I know it's temporary. I know things will get better. I think that's really um, encouraging and something that uh, throughout most of these topics I'm reminding myself of that okay you know this is temporary this is temporary this awful bad thing that yes I'm working on yes is valid it's temporary it's not going to last forever the third 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 hard thing that Lucy talks about is the toll that having a baby can take on your relationship. Obviously, this is a very important one to talk to your partner about beforehand. As you probably guess, having a baby is going to mean a pretty big shift in your relationship. You're not going to have as much time for each other. Obviously, things are going to change, you know, physically, you have possibly, you know, different body, different body shape, different intimacy uh, needs. Um, a lot of mostly moms talk about being like touched out, like all day long, you have, you know, a baby or a toddler, whoever, you know, if you have multiple kids, you know, touching you all day long, they want to be held, they want to be picked up, they want to be hugged, they want to be touched. And then at night, you know, when your partner rolls over to touch you, you're like, Ugh, don't touch me, I'm completely touched out. So just differences, right? Um, and the fact that, you know, for a little while, at least your entire relationship is going to be centered around this baby, keeping this baby um, happy and fed and, you know, asleep and in a clean diaper and warm or cold or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's going to be obviously a huge change, especially if this is your first child. Um, it's going to be a very big uh, seismic shift in your relationship. So some of the things that my husband and I talked about when it comes to this is we really want to try to prioritize date nights and, you know, even changing the definition of date night. Maybe we don't have time you know, to go out, go to dinner, see a movie, get a drink, come home, you know, this big six hour affair. But like, what about um, watching a movie together, you know, once the baby's asleep and sharing, you know, a bag of popcorn or sitting out on the balcony with a baby monitor and eating ice cream, um, little things like that, right? Maybe it's going to coffee or grabbing a bagel in the morning. It doesn't have to be a quote unquote date night just like finding these little date moments. Honestly, I'm a little bit worried for this one. We're already not great at prioritizing date nights. We do prioritize time together, but it's so easy for us to just say like, okay, yeah, we're just going to watch, you know, another episode of Parks and Rec, another episode, another episode, another episode. It's six hours later. We're sitting on the couch, but like opposite ends of the couch, scrolling on our phones. I hope this sounds familiar to some of you, but that um, ends up being, you know, honestly, a lot of our nights. So we're not great already at going out to, you know, dinner or date or whatever. So I think it'll get that much harder with a baby. So I do hope this is something that we can work on now in our pre-baby life, kind of prioritizing dating and, you know, going out with each other. Um, just doing something a little bit different, a little bit more special, even if it is small and something that we're able to keep up doing once baby comes. 
Um, we're lucky in that our plan right now is that my husband is going to be able to take 18 months off of work. Um, that's something that we're able to do here in Canada. And you get uh, basically like a small stipend for part of that time through the government, um, through uh, unemployment insurance that you pay into as an employee. And then I uh, work from home. I work for myself. So I'm planning to take um, a couple months like totally off work. And then I'll come back kind of at like part-time capacity. But basically we're both going to be off work. So I think that is going to um, make things a lot easier in terms of handling this shift in our family and our relationship. Um, we're hopefully both going to be fairly equally involved in um, baby care, child care. So there's not going to be that. Um, I think something that can come up in a lot of relationships um, is, you know, the birthing person is at home and they're the one responsible for baby care. Uh, waking up in the middle of the night, feeding the baby, changing the baby, taking care of the baby all day. And then the other partner is away at work. You know, maybe they get a week or two off at the beginning and then they're right back to work. And I think a lot of resentment can build up. Like, you don't know how hard my day was. It's like, well, you don't know how hard my day was. You know, it's so hard for me to be away from you and I'm busy at work and so stressed out. And then I come home and I immediately have to start like, you know, changing diapers and all that. And the other person's like, yeah, but I've been changing diapers for the last, you know, 14 hours, whatever it is. I think that can be very tough. So we're lucky in that we both get to be home. Um, and if that is not your dynamic, which I assume, you know, most people out there aren't able to have both partners take off that much time um, or both be home for that long, I think this is definitely something you're going to want to start talking about. So something that's really big for us is just like being extremely communicative. Um, we, you know, even now we aren't really, we don't really get into fights. Um, every now and then we'll have like little spats. We'll kind of, you know, exchange um, a couple harsh words. And honestly, we'll We'll go away from the conversation for a matter of minutes and right away one of us is back in with an apology um or you know at least that same day you know we're apologizing for it um so i think that's something that we're already really good at and, and want to keep up doing just being very communicative with each other um apologizing thinking the best of each other this is something i was sharing with my husband yesterday when we watched or two days ago when we watched this video um i was saying you know, sometimes when we get into those little spats, my first instinct is like, oh, I just want to dig my heels in. Like, I'm right about this. I don't have to apologize. And I have to remind myself like, okay, who cares? Like, you don't need to be right about this. How do you get back on a good page with your husband? Like the most important thing here is that, you know, you and your husband have a good relationship, that you're happy. Who cares? You know, like, so go in there thinking the best of him, thinking that he had the best of intentions, right? Like it's not, he's not trying to be malicious. He's not trying to hurt me. Um, so reminding myself of that and letting us have those conversations where we can say, Hey, I'm sorry, you know, that came out of my mouth stupidly. Let me try to explain to you what I was thinking, hearing each other's perspective. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing we found is these conversations, sometimes, you know, if it's a tough conversation, it's a lot easier to have either in the car or in bed. Um, and I say this in the car, it's really great because you are forced to focus on each other, right? Like there's nothing else. There's not a TV screen. There's hopefully not a cell phone. <laughs> um, you know, if you or your partner is driving, you're focusing on the road, but like, you know, you can usually keep up a conversation and it's nice. You're in this enclosed space, like no distractions. And then at night, you know, when you're in bed, the lights are off, you can, you know, hold hands, you have like that bit of intimacy or, you know, touch feet, whatever you do. But because the lights are off, you know, you're not staring directly into each other's eyes. But again, it's another situation where you have the person's full attention. Um, there's not a ton of distractions, you know, if you've waited until you've turned off the TV, put your phones away, that sort of thing. Um, so you have their attention, no distractions, but it's not as 
uh, vulnerable or scary as it might be to, you know, I can't even imagine like saying, okay, husband, like I would like to talk with you about an issue. Please sit down at the table so we can stare into each other's eyes. (laughs) Like that's right. Like that's kind of uncomfortable. So having these conversations in the car or in bed, uh, right before you go to sleep, I think can be very helpful. Those are just things that work for us might not work for everybody. Um, Another thing I'm trying to remember in terms of the toll in the relationship is just uh, keeping in mind, again, this goes back to that phrase, everything is temporary. This is just one part of our lives, one season of our lives when, you know, especially we're planning to just have the one baby. So this is the only time when we're going to have, you know, the newborn stage, the infant stage, the toddler stage, the elementary school stage, you know, whatever it is, those, this is the only time when we're going to be, you know, changing this many diapers and, five years from now when we're not changing diapers, hopefully sooner than that, (laughs) we're not changing diapers, things are going to look a little different. So knowing that like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to be a very romantic time. (laughs) This is not going to be a time when we're all over each other, when we're going out on all the dates, when we're holding hands all day long. Um, But that doesn't mean, you know, I'm going to write off the whole relationship. Like, oh, the last six months, I haven't even felt connected to my husband. Like, okay, hand me the divorce papers, right? Like not just remembering this is temporary. This season, this shift, this stage of life is just something we're going through right now. And, you know, there's going to be new seasons, new stages after this that are going to look different. Um, And lastly, just being extra grateful. I think I've shared before on this podcast, one thing my partner and I do each night is um, we share the best part of our day, the worst part of our day, uh, the thing we're most grateful to the other person for and what we're looking forward to tomorrow. So this is, I think, a really cool exercise. I encourage you to do it. It's a really nice way to connect with your partner about your day, especially if you have both been really busy. It's a nice way to kind of come together. The worst part of the day part is actually a really good way if you haven't had a chance to resolve any like disagreements or fights or anything like that. Sometimes we'll wait until that worst part of the day and one of us will inevitably say, actually, you know what? The worst part of my day was that little spat we had earlier and that kind of launches us into the conversation. And then of course, the best part of this uh, little end of day catch up is that most grateful part. So we used to just do it as, oh, what are you most grateful for today? But we've kind of changed it to what are you most grateful to the other person for? And we phrase it as thank you for X, Y, Z. And it's supposed to be like the one thing, but we usually end up doing a laundry list of things. So like, thank you for emptying the dishwasher this morning before you went to work. That was super helpful. Um, I think having that already as a practice for us is great. And sometimes we joke around, you know, if the other person like forgot that you did something, we'll bring it up at that point. I'd be like, ah, don't remember I did those dishes. Oh yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Um, So this is a really good way. I know this is something that comes up a lot with um, not even parents, just like partners, right? Busy partners. You sometimes don't notice the things that the other person is doing or you you do, but you don't say thank you for them because, you know, whatever, just sort of slips your mind. And then if you're the person doing the things, you're like, oh my God, he or they didn't even notice, you know, I, I did all these dishes or, I, oh, I, you know, I called their mom, I booked their dentist appointment, I whatever, something else you did. Um, so I think it really, really helps to go out of your way to um, thank your partner, even if it's something like super mundane and simple. It's like, well, of course you did the dishes. I made dinner. Like you have to do the dishes. That's our rule. Um, it's just so nice to say thank you for that, right? To, to let them know that you saw them, that you appreciate their effort and what they're contributing to your households, to your life is super important. So that's something that we're going to want to double down on just being extra, extra grateful. Okay. Sorry. Moving along. (laughs) Number four on uh, Lucy's list of hard parts of having a baby is just being overwhelmed by everything that you need to know 
or that you need to do um, in bringing a baby into your life. So this one, I'm sure I am preaching to the choir. If you're listening to a podcast about, you know, conception and things like that, I'm sure you have many, many podcasts about pregnancy and raising kids and childbirth and all that stuff. There are books, there are way too many social media accounts, there are TV shows, there are YouTube channels, there are movies, there are, you know, classes, courses, things like that. There is so much info out there, just like, oh, just an incredible amount of info out there about every single tiny little aspect, right? Like just the TTC world, trying to conceive world that I'm in right now, there is so much information out there and it's so overwhelming. And one thing I had done earlier, years ago at this point, was, you know, I started following all of these different social media accounts. There were ones, um, and they're and they're amazing accounts, right? Like ones about how to get your kids to eat. Um, I don't even know what it was. Honestly, I can't even remember what they're about, but things about, you know, children eating and raising kids and um, gentle parenting and things like that. And I was following all these accounts at any time they would put up an informative post, which was every single day, I would save it. So I was like, oh, that's so important. I need to know that. I need to know that. And I was getting so overwhelmed. And I remember talking to, I was talking to a therapist at that time and she sort of said, you know, oh, how is that serving you? Like, you know, at this point, at that point, honestly, we weren't even trying to have a baby yet. And I was like, do I need to know how I can introduce my child to strawberries if I am not even currently trying to get pregnant? Probably not. That's probably not information I need. So it can be so easy to be overloaded by all of this information and just to go down rabbit holes. You know, we love the internet, obviously, but uh, it's tough. There's a lot of stuff out there. It can be um, a lot of noise and it can feel really overwhelming if you're like, oh my God, I need to know all of these things. How do I not know all these things? I got to learn them before. Um, you know, before I get pregnant, before I give birth, before I try to feed, before I put the kid to sleep, before I bathe the kid, like just so much out there. Um, And it's really hard to find that balance between getting the information you need and not becoming overwhelmed by everything there is out there. So I obviously have not found the perfect um, way through this. I do think it's a matter of, you know, sometimes it is just, okay, what, you know, what's realistic? What, what do you actually need? What is the logical solution here? You know, what's the minimalist solution? Not to say that our parents had it right, but like, what were people doing 30, 40 years ago? Was it that bad? Could we just do that? You know, something as simple as a baby bath. Like, do you need a bathtub? Do you need a special spout to pour the water? Do you need a special little cage to protect your baby's eyes from the water? Do you need a little kneeling pad for you and special gloves and special soap and special shampoo and a special comb and a special towel? Like probably not, right? If you want those things, awesome. If I'm sure there are parents out there who are like, uh, yeah, you do. You do need all those things. They're, we swear by them. But also, you know, those same parents, if they didn't have those things, would they be okay? Maybe. Maybe your kid's not going to like the bath. Maybe they want to shower. Maybe you can bathe them in the sink. Maybe you can just bathe them in your regular bath. Um, My aunt uses a Rubbermaid tub, which I think is genius. (laughs) She just has a Rubbermaid. um, That's just like, you know, a plastic storage bin. She has one around in her house and she just puts that in the bathtub. So, you know, if they splash, it's in the tub and just fills that up, puts the kid in. And I'm like, genius. What a great idea. There are so many, like sometimes just simple solutions that you don't actually need all that information. One tip I heard is to only learn about the next stage. So if you are trying to conceive, you can learn about pregnancy. If you're pregnant, you can learn about childbirth. If you're, well, you probably aren't doing too much learning while you're giving birth, but you know, if you're nearing childbirth, maybe you're learning about feeding or diapering, um, you know, that sort of thing. So you're not overwhelming yourself with, hey, I need to know everything there is to know about a baby from 
negative a year till they're seven, right? Like that's just way too much information. Uh, I also think at some point, yes, there's going to be eight different ways to bathe the baby, diaper a baby, feed a baby, find the way that works for you and go for it. And I get it. I'm the kind of person I love information. I love a spreadsheet. I love organizing things and learning things and figuring out the most optimal way to do something. But I think at some point that really doesn't serve you anymore. And it's just, you know what, I found this method. I think it's going to work. If it doesn't, we'll try something new, but I really don't need to learn eight different ways to feed my baby squash. I'm going to try this first thing. And if it works, I'm sticking with it. And if it doesn't, yeah, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, I think, I just don't think there's one right way to do things, right? Like everyone swears by a specific bouncer and a specific, you know, sleep training method and a specific type of clothing. And it's like, okay, awesome. You know, that worked for your baby, but who's to say if you had done, you know, this different method, it wouldn't have worked just as well. It might have, right? So it's so hard. You know, there's so many YouTube videos out there about like, oh, my baby must have the things I swear by. And in one video, someone's like, oh my God, I, you know, I could not have made it through without the Docatot. My kid loved this thing. It's a lifesaver. It's worth all the money. And then the very next video, they're like, oh, the Docatot was the worst. My kid hated it. What a waste of money. So honestly, there's not, yeah, there's not one right way, right? It's just going to be whatever works for you, whatever works for your family, whatever works for your baby. In terms of bringing your partner into this conversation, um, I was I was telling my husband when we first started talking about this, I said, I kind of like that you don't have this knowledge of, you know, pregnancy and babies and, and things like that. I like that because he's a little bit of like a realistic sounding board. So, you know, if I go to my partner and I start talking about baby led weaning, he's just going to give me a blank stare because he has no idea what I'm talking about. Um, so sometimes he can just give me like a really realistic, like, oh yeah, uh, uh, why can't we just do, you know, this other thing that's, you know, super logical. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess we can. Like we don't really need whatever, 85 different gadgets and gizmos. Um, so I kind of like that. But then on the other side, I don't want to be the expert. And we've had this conversation. And I think this is one that my husband and I are going to have a lot of talks about. I don't want to be the expert I don't want to be the one that, you know, has all the knowledge about babies and, and you know, how to diaper and how to feed and how to swaddle and how to put them to sleep. Um, one, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair for me to have to own the expertise. Um, and this sort of leads into that weaponized incompetence. And unfortunately, a lot of male partners to uh, to female partners have where it's oh you're so much better at doing the dishes than I am I don't even know how to do the dishes so you should do them like absolutely not none of that (laughs) we won't be doing any of that in this household there will not be any oh I don't even know how to change a diaper you do it like none and luckily you know my husband's very aware of this term weaponized incompetence and is not something that he would try to do but I just don't want him to come to me and look to me to be the answer to be the expert on things right because I want him to do his own research or I want us to do research together I want us to make decisions together because I'm not an expert. Like I've, I've not had a baby before. Um, so, so I, I shouldn't be this person who has all the answers because I don't, I'm just, you know, basing it off of the research I've done, things I've learned, but I want him to do that research too. And I want, I want to feel confident in his decisions. I want him to feel confident in his own decisions and for it not to be a thing of like, okay, I'm the real parent and he's, you know, a sub parent who's just sort of doing what I tell him to. I, I think that's too much mental load, too much emotional labor for me. Um, and just not fair to either of us as parents. And it, that's something we both want. So it's, it's something we're working on because I think naturally I'm more inclined to do this research, to learn like this. It's like a hobby to me, right? Like this podcast is a hobby. I enjoy it. I love doing this research. I love learning. I've read, you know, lots of pregnancy books and listened to different podcasts and things like that. And I think it might just be a thing where I'm doing 
you know, that sort of research and I'm kind of involved in it now and eventually we'll both be. Um, I'm hoping that's where we get to, but it's, it's a conversation we're having. So I'm, I'm hoping we're able to make some progress on it. Okay, I think we're going to leave it there for part one as this episode is already nearing the 40 minute mark. Uh, as you can see, I only got through four of these really tough uh, topics and difficult parts of having a baby conversations I think you need to have with your partner. I think these are so, so important though. So I'm definitely going to do a part two, potentially even a part three, because I'm going through this extremely slowly. I think some of the other uh, topics are a little bit shorter, so maybe I can get this done in just two parts. Um, but hopefully uh, you're enjoying this and these are uh, topics, conversations, questions, ideas that are interesting to you and that uh, you're thinking about how you're going to have these conversations uh, with your partner, with your family, with friends, you know, whoever you are growing uh, your family with. Um, until then, I will see you in two weeks or you will hear from me in two weeks with part two of some of these tough topics that you should chat through with your partner. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Any Questions, a podcast about conception, pregnancy, and realistic motherhood. If you liked hearing from me, I'd really appreciate it if you could do all the things. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. Even if I wasn't able to answer all of your questions, I hope there's some relief in knowing you're not alone in asking them. Thanks so much for being here.